You are listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, where we take one idea or topic off the Focus Compounding website and share with you here on the podcast for free. To get access to other ideas or topics just like this one discussed today on the podcast, feel free to go to www.focuscompounding.com and be sure to sign up using the promo code PODCAST to get $10 off your monthly subscription price forever. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Focus Compounding Podcast on the Focus Compounding website. I'm sitting alongside Mr. Jeff Gannon. My name is Andrew Kuhn. Today we are going to be going over Breeze Eastern. Uh, this is another post-mortem type of um, investment podcast where we are going to go over a name that Jeff wrote about. I myself actually, this is this is actually how I came across Jeff, was I actually read this Breeze Eastern, um, his write-up on it a long time ago. Jeff, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Jeff's doing great. Yeah, I, I didn't say I didn't say hi at the beginning, so <laughs> okay. I thought. But well, we're keeping it real. We're keeping All it raw right. here, so we're gonna keep rolling. But um, I actually, this is uh, you wrote about Breeze Eastern back in May of 2015 okay. for Singular Diligence. You recommended it at eleven dollars and thirty eight cents. You appraised it at fifteen dollars and two cents. Um, lo and behold, they actually got bought out a little bit less than a year later in uh, January for $19.61. Right, by Transdime. By Transdime, yep. Which is a public company that you can still... It's like a conglomerate, right? Yeah, a conglomerate yep. of this kind of business, actually. Yep, and that's been it. So we're going to go into it. What do you, what do you remember about the company? Do you, they're a rescue, helicopter rescue hoist company. Very simple. Yeah. Search and rescue. Yep. Um, helicopters have... Very uh, niche. Yeah. And it was, uh, if memory serves right, it was... A small cap. It was very, like small, very micro. micro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think when we were about as well under hundred million. Yeah, yeah. And um, um, and then as I said, they did get bought out. So, what do you remember? How you screened for this company or came across it? Sure. So normally, I mean, these things did show up on screens, um, but honestly, that's not how we found any of the ideas for the um, uh, newsletter. Uh, what really happened? And I should point out first, you can actually read this old report by going to uh, Focus. If you're a Focus Company men- member, you can read like. We often say it's like a 10,000-word report or something, so you can read everything that we wrote about this company and get like a really full postmortem that way. But what we'll be talking about is basically off of that report. Yeah, and on the report, you could see all the old numbers, everything that you were looking at pretty much in real time. Like yeah. as I'm looking at it right now, it was trading at seven times EV to EBIT, sure. seven times EV to owner's earnings, and it's good, yeah. I guess, just to do a little... Um, just to kind of reverse engineer the yeah. whole thought process. So, so Breezystream was interesting because it had some issues for, that made it hard to screen for. So uh, while it does look okay by those last year's numbers, the long-term past results were not good because the company had um, a core business, which is really what Breezystream was, that was good, great, actually. And then it um, got into a bunch of other businesses and then eventually disposed of those. So it was doing the reverse of diversifying. It had diversified, and now it was disposing of all that, cutting that all away, and getting to the great core business left. Mm-hmm. And it had gotten rid of the debt and stuff. It was like sort of a turnaround, um, and some of the major shareholders in it had bought in more at that time. Whereas we were looking at it now, we are saying, oh, now it's great, because now it has this beautiful wide moat gem here that's a micro cap, which mm-hmm. was great, and it's disposed of everything else. It's financially sound now. It, it, was, it was great that way. So once we realized that was what the situation was, we were really interested in it. Um, and and then just everything we turned over about the company made it more exciting, honestly. Every time we had an idea where we thought, like, we were going to find something negative, we were trying to, like, disprove it, we just said, oh, there's more value here than we thought. Yeah. Because what was happening is in recent years uh, before, uh, before 2015, um, which is when the report was, they've been spending a lot on um, developing new business for new models. Um, so they work when there's a big... 
So this is an aerospace-related company. And so when a company like Airbus or Boeing or one of the major uh, helicopter companies like Sikorsky um, comes out with a new model, usually they're going to either have Breeze Eastern or their one competitor um, provide the something like the search and rescue um, hoist or a cargo winch or something like that. And they're going to be the one uh, that gets that business. So they like sort of co-develop with them while this is happening. And then it's a question of like whether Airbus is the one that everyone adopts and you know buys that model or Boeing or so actually they were having a problem with a um, uh, development of an Airbus uh, 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 v, um, aircraft that they were going to come out with. And in fact, that's continued to have huge problems. But they were involved in that one, and so they'd spend a ton of money on sort of this R and D stuff. So the way the business works is this is a razor and blade business, and that it's. It has been acquired, so you can't buy this business. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. you can buy Transdime, which has has rolled up some businesses like this. Um, but obviously, Breeze Eastern itself is insignificant to Transdime. It's a tiny, tiny part of uh, that business now. But it's a razor and blade business in the sense that... Um, what does that mean? Okay, so what it means is they um, have a very long sales cycle where they, have, they develop um, a, a device that works with uh, some aircraft model okay then at that so there's all this upfront spending for years by the company that they sink into it expenses not costs actual expenses like um you know engineers and stuff working on this once they have that business then they sell the original equipment um which you can so the customer in a sense is really um like a, a police department or a fire department or something buying this coast guard buying this but often what they're really doing is they're buying the helicopter and please put an add-on to my order. It's this, you know, uh, original equipment. The margin on that's low. I don't remember if it was like a 30% gross margin or something on that, but let's say it was 30%. Then the margin on the uh, parts and maintenance is 60%, right? And then what tends to happen is, you know, a helicopter has a long life, um, and we did a lot of scuttlebutt on this and realized that they had – you know, what I talk about is market power. They had a huge amount of, of bargaining power with their customers. And so it really it was talking to customers that just showed us just how much um, uh, how how much pricing power they had. Because they were pretty much the only ones doing what they were doing. They had not, they one, didn't have a lot of competition. One but, competitor. Yeah. So in the entire world, there are three companies who did the same thing. One is a Russian-related company. So the whole world sort of for helicopters and things was historically been broken down sort of between NATO countries and non-NATO. Because obviously Russia isn't buying things from NATO countries and vice versa in the Cold War. So there is some company that I guess supplies us for Russia and some other former Soviet countries. But everyone in the West only knows of two companies that do it. Um, there was Goodrich, which um, United Technologies bought. And there was uh, uh, Breeze Eastern. And Breeze Eastern was at least twice the size of Goodrich, I'd say. Um and so it was a duopoly, mm-hmm. and certainly I'm sure that Breeze Eastern had at least 50% market share. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. yeah. And then so you, uh, full disclosure, you actually didn't end up. Did not, I did not buy this personally. Yeah. No. Uh-huh. Do you remember why? No, I do not remember why. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about it. You're like, okay, what what day was it? I don't remember if I owned something else during that time no, or what. I don't know why I didn't buy it. Um, and it would have been a great one to buy. Yeah. Uh, it checks all the boxes of something that I would uh, like to own. Um, so I'm not sure. Very simple, is. predictable type of. And more than anything, a business that I like, I like to, my sort of big thing more than anything is, um, w- the test is what will this business look like in five years mm-hmm. and what would a private owner pay for that? Mm-hmm. 
and I was sure that, and in, we talk about this, we basically say this is a company that's likely to be acquired yeah, sure. uh, at the end, because especially because I think the, they were share, it's pretty liquid, the stock was, because yep. there are like three shareholders who own pretty big chunks of it and had bought it over time, um, when it was more of a turnaround for most of them, and uh, they would have wanted out at some point too. Mm-hmm. Um, you, and not everyone was in favor of the Transdyne deal. Didn't you, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's what I was going to go into, because yeah. so they got bought out by Transdyne um, in January 2016, at around nineteen dollars and sixty one cents, and mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, there's a lot of people that were kind of upset about it, feeling that they kind of got like, almost like they, um, the price wasn't fair to shareholders. Like it should have been a lot more than what it was. I don't remember what it was on like a EBITDA basis, right. but per share, that's what it came out to. Right, but a big issue with that is that, like I was saying about the margins, um, you don't really. When they first sell the original equipment, they don't make any money. Mm-hmm. A 30% gross margin on a small microcap company like this, that just basically pays for overhead. You yeah. know, that doesn't get you to an actual operating margin. So the whole profit contribution happens once you've got the parts and maintenance. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge that, – that was the business, and that's the part that I say they have market power with. Because when we talk to customers – They were the only ones that can essentially Yeah, fix we said stuff. to customers, would you ever switch from one company to the other? Mm-hmm. They said, no, I wouldn't switch from one to the other. Um, we, we asked them, like, uh, do they ever try to sell things to you and stuff? And, and they said, no, no, I have to call them. They never do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked to them about uh, spare parts and how long it, it takes. And they, they – like, this company basically wasn't keeping – I don't want to overstate this because maybe they, they were keeping some inventories. But the impression we got from customers and even some disclosures by the company make it sound like basically when someone needed a spare part, they made the spare part. Mm-hmm. They kept – extremely minimal inventory on yeah. hand. So there was a situation where like you might, if you have six helicopters in your fleet, you might not be able to train people or go out and, and do a search and rescue mission on a particular helicopter because you don't have that part fixed right now. Mm-hmm. And it could be grounded for 30 days or something. That's the impression we got that it could take a couple weeks to, to a month. Um, and they just had to put up with it. Because you had two choices of companies that you could go with. Um, you had to do some manual switching of the parts from one to the other. They, it was important to us that it was not very technical, the reasons for doing it. It was sort of just, you know, you do it one way or the other. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and, and several customers told us, you know, uh, I have to pay any price they tell me. Yeah. And, and I have to put up with any wait time. If, if, <laughs> if they raise the prices by 100% next year, I pay do? 100% yeah. more. Wow. And, um, on, you know, on the parts and maintenance I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. On the original equipment, yeah. that's a different story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they cared a lot about price when they first buy it, sure. you know. Um, but yeah, that's exactly right. And so it's like buying, you know, uh, ink for your printer. You know, that's that's what I'm talking about with the mm-hmm. razor and blade business. And uh, yeah, and and so talking to customers that really gave it made it clear what the situation was. Just kind of curious, when you'd call customers, would you just say, "Hey, I'm I'm studying Breezeaser and have a couple questions for you," or what's that sort of cut, scuttlebutt process like for you? So I mean, th- this is some stuff that Phil Fisher talks about too. Um, one is that. I don't want to like overstate it, but we tend, uh, Quan and I tended to know a fair amount about the business, mm-hmm. and especially with something like Breeze Eastern or something. Um, we it, these we were writing ten thousand page reports about companies sometimes that are microcaps. Sure, no one has ever covered any of these companies <laughs> yeah. in, this, in this depth, and sometimes we would talk to the, to people and give. They got the impression that we knew more about their business than any people that they talked to in the past sure. and particularly like with this um we were talking to people about their job um i mean frankly we talked to someone about like um so how do you like he's an engineer basically and like so how do you actually carry this out from switching from a uh, good rich to breeze eastern or vice versa 
who asked this guy this yeah. question about it? <laughs> um, the search and rescue thing, like in some cases, they're like, my boss has never asked me why I go with one provider rather than the other in my budget. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they're they're interested in that. Um, this wouldn't work if you were doing a bigger company or a company that's more like a hot stock or something like that. Um, but it does work when we talk to people. I mean, when you talk to people about their jobs, um, we didn't we we really didn't have a lot of problems with that. Yeah. Um, they're willing to talk about that. Uh, so, and you know, we're talking to, we're, we're talking about customers and people who like make buying decisions a lot of the time, but we're really interested in people who are involved in like purchasing decisions. Sure. It would be very different going to like the CFO or something, trying to talk to them. That's, that's not what we were doing. We were always focused on people who can tell us about their business, but really are telling us about customer behavior. Um, was this company, was it a family ran company too? Do you remember that or no? I don't remember any of the details of that by the time. Do you, um, do you remember, did you write? to the the management or something about this company with when no no not no. breezy Australia didn't do any of that i mean i don't i'm pretty sure that we never contacted breezy really and talked to them because i thought i remember because i remember, like i said i remember there was a lot of people that were kind of upset that the that the price that they were selling out at to trans time uh yeah i don't know if i should talk about like you know i mean we tell people we're not gonna quote your name and stuff mm-hmm. so i don't want to get into too much I mentioned that there were a handful of shareholders. So if I start to give information about whether yeah. we talk to some other shareholders, there's only a handful of them all <laughs> in the whole company. So I'm giving away whether we talk to particular shareholders. So yeah. I don't want to get too much of that. But we, I don't believe we talked to management. I think we talked to some people who, who own some of it. Mm-hmm. And I know that we l- looked up information on them. We always do that. Um, look into like when they bought in, uh, what other kind of stuff they own, try to get information on who they are and what they're doing that way. Um, there, we also had earnings call transcripts because there was a very contentious earnings call um, <laughs> where one of the major shareholders was really um, complaining to Vocal. the, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. To the um, uh, CEO at the time about cutting some of the expenses that they had or showing you know sales growth from it. Um, so there, you know, there was a catalyst where the future earnings would likely be a lot higher. We definitely talk about how we know that their like R and D expense would go down. We really felt strongly that that was going to happen. And we couldn't value some things like whether they would get a lot of business from, um, I think it was the A400M. Um, I'm trying to think of what it was. It was some Airbus, big Airbus project that they were on. Uh, there was one or two big things that were troubled um, projects, N- not troubled from their perspective, because it's their fault, mm-hmm. but you know it, whether um, if that model sold a lot, then they would get a lot of business in the future or not. You know, um, because it's sort of like being a supplier into like you know um, Apple or Samsung or, or or whatever something like that, where it's like, well, if this become if the iPhone becomes the huge thing, sure, and you supplied some part to it, you know, um, then you're gonna then you're gonna make a lot of money off of that. Whereas if if you pick the wrong uh, horse that you bet on, there, yeah. then then you're not. And mm-hmm. uh, like I said, there was two companies. So basically, when developing any sort of um, new plane or, or new helicopter, um, that they, they kind of had to pick one or the other you sure. know, to work with. Yeah, mm-hmm. interesting. And then um, okay, so gets bought out nineteen dollars sixty one cents. Um, obviously, from there, pretty much the story stopped. And we were talking about a little bit off uh, trans time. There's a lot of negative press about it. Was it did Andrew left? I think he actually Citron Research. I think he he put out a short report about that company. Do you remember? Uh, I don't know that. I can't. Uh, I can't remember. I, 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 yeah. I know there's a lot of people that yeah, like, and you kind of just said it, it yourself. Sh- a lot of people call it like the valiant of 
that industry because they kind of in, in terms of prices. I have no idea about in terms of like some of the other activities Valiant was in. Yeah, but in terms of um, jacking up prices, yeah, I remember that. That was sort of their go-to. Yeah, I mean, I just told you every customer we talked to said if they. Ch- I mean, I'm. I, I don't know if I uh, said this, but I, on the podcast, but I will now. <laughs> um, that you know, they did. S- literally, we have some people who we don't name who the customers are who said if they told me it's yeah, uh, double. Yeah, I have to pay it. Yeah, I have to. And um, and honestly, actually, in some cases, they did pricing power. It, there extreme. were a couple case. There were a couple cases where we were the ones who. We're breaking the news to them that there actually was yeah. another company <laughs> that you could that that was in the same business. Yeah. Now, th- now that company doesn't always uh, do the exact same thing that that Breeze Eastern does. But what I'm saying is, essentially, these are um, these are like sole supply or mm-hmm. um, contra- contracts. Now, yeah. now these aren't contracts that they're selling them to, to them, but the parts and maintenance here, these are they sort of have a monopoly on, on the on the main on the replacement parts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's not as rare as you'd think. As I said, no. Yeah, Good even business. when I talked about um, Babcock and Wilcox, um, the other part of the business, which is the the coal part of the business, um, they went into other things, renewables and stuff like that. But in terms of um, maintenance on coal power plants in the U.S., if you're the one who built the original boiler for them, even if the plant continues in operation 30 years, you're often the one doing – not just often. You're the one that's going to be doing the maintenance on it. They're not really going out and trying to to find who's the cheapest to do maintenance mm-hmm. on it. They're they're giving that business to the the um, original provider. It's kind of like uh, who is it? What car make? Is it Volkswagen, for example? Like it, the I think I, don't, I may butcher it, but I think if you have a Volkswagen, you can only go to like Volkswagen dealerships to get it fixed or something like that. Yeah, the big one for certainly the U.S. is elevators. So elevators in, in the U.S. This is a little different in China and some places <laughs> like that. Um, but in the U.S., virtually everyone who buys an elevator from one of the major elevator companies um, gives them for maintenance on it forever. They don't go looking for someone else to do the maintenance on it. So the original sale of an elevator in the U.S., you make almost no profit. Mm-hmm. But then for many years, you're doing the maintenance on it, and you make a lot of money on it. Yeah, that's interesting. And so that's sort of the situation that Breeze was in. The other thing with Breeze Eastern is um, we, we liked how much of a niche it was. Mm-hmm. That's a huge part of this. People wonder, like, why it's a duopoly or something. One, there's maybe, I don't know, even including other countries and stuff, five, six helicopter, um, you know, and uh, major helicopter companies um, and and ever have been there. You know, it's always been sort of an oligopoly. Um, and obviously you have pretty much a duopoly in some things with Boeing and Airbus um, for, for certain um, very big planes. Um, so I, I think... It just didn't have the scale to support it. I mean, we said Breeze is a micro cap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. And it's at least twice the size of their nearest competitor. Yeah. You know, in terms of this exact business. And and so you're thinking, so when people say like barriers to entry and stuff, well, a pretty big barrier to entry is what's the third place person going to get when they come in mm-hmm. to the market? Mm-hmm. The biggest is a micro cap stock. The second biggest is half that size. So take half the size of that as, yeah. you know, if you're successful, mm-hmm. if if you got into, if you got lucky in terms of what projects you worked on and, and you did everything right, you know, how are you going to even get, you know, uh, you're going to get 15% of a very small pie at best, you know? Wow. So looking for a niche like that, I think is, is an important part of it. And good takeaway. Yeah. And I should have bought the stock and this is a good <laughs> example of why, why not um, to do that. Um, you know, it's also another one where if it was a really big company, mm-hmm. it, I think it would have traded at a really high price. Yeah. It was just that it's so small, so niche. And it was so unknown. I mean, and it's, there it's was, an what, three that, major shareholders. Yeah. yeah, and it's an industry that people don't know. Mm-hmm. 
like when I talk to you about it, like now, some people, I don't even know if they know what we're talking about when we're talking about <laughs> search and rescue yeah. hoists, um, you know, uh, what that is. Uh, not even that many people know that it's much like about the, the helicopter Guard. business. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, even the major helicopter companies, like there's not that many that uh, have traded separately for that long. Um, most of them are part of a big conglomerate um, mm. that also does defense stuff and things. Yeah. So anyway, I don't have a real opinion on, on Transdime except to say my uh, assumption was that in turn, which may be completely wrong, that uh, when they were buying the business, the idea is you don't have to put in a lot of more research and stuff work. There's no R and D stuff, yeah. mm -hmm. and let's jack up the prices. And that's what I meant in terms of comparing to value. Yeah, and a lot of, but that's that's sort of that that rep, that company has that reputation. Yeah. yeah. So all I meant is an acquisition machine that says let's slash R and D yeah. to nothing and yeah. let's jack up the prices. And and you can on this because the these customers you could double the price on some of the things customers yeah. and people also do it. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is already a business where the replacement parts and stuff had whatever sixty percent or more you know gross margin. So you plug that into a bigger company and and the results are good. Um, you know I I don't know what it is for for some bigger things and also they obviously do business with some governments and and defense things where they might get some more negative press if they you know drop up prices like that. Yeah, crazy. I'm I mean, sure they got a good deal on it. I'm sure oh, that I'm it worked sure. out very well <laughs> yeah. for Transdime. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure it did. Any last thoughts on the company? Nope, that's it. That is it. Well, we want to thank everybody for tuning in today uh, to the Focus Compounding Podcast. My name is Andrew Kuhn, sitting alongside Jeff Gannon. Feel free to follow us both on Twitter. My Twitter is at Focused Compound, and Jeff's is at Jeff Gannon. That's G-E-O-F-F-G-A-N-N-O-N. Mm -hmm. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And we, sh we should mention uh, you go to Focus Compounding, yep. become a member. You type in the promo code podcast. Yep. That saves you $10. And you can read all reports, including the old ones like this one on Breezy's. How many How many are even on the web? There's a lot on here. It's over two dozen. Yeah. I don't know the exact number if it's 25, 26. Which yeah. is very good. And, and a lot of them, I mean, like, for example, I don't think we've talked about Omnicom. You've written about Omnicom recently and, mm -hmm. and the reports report on there. On uh, fossils on there. There's a bunch of uh, frosts on there. We just talked about that yeah. in one of the most recent podcasts. So, so um, lots of um, good backstories and, and good. To oh, sort one of company engineer. that's similar to this uh, that that's in there is uh, I think we have a report on Tandy in there. Uh, TLF yep. Tandy. Yeah, you do. That's a that's a micro cap niche company with a, a wide mo a dominant company there. And another similar one in a way are uh, two others are Hunter Douglas and Luxottica, which we have reports on both of those in there. And those are big businesses, um, curtains and um, shades and um, eyeglasses and sunglasses. But th they are kind of similar in terms of the, the, the same idea of like the dominance of the business in sort of a niche that maybe people don't know as much about. Like people don't know that one company has a huge share of eyewear. They may not know that one company has a huge share of shades and curtains. Uh -huh. And so the, and sort of, those are sort of niche things. Too. Yeah. They remind mm -hmm. me a lot of this company. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So we have reports from 2013 to 2016. So there's yeah. a good amount on there. So feel free to sign up and make sure you use the podcast uh, promo code, which is actually podcast. And then you get $10 off your monthly subscription price forever. We will see you in the next one.